Today we continue with uh, our, our sermon series called Welcome to the Table, a Place of Gathering, Healing, and Resurrection. And before I go into, uh, into our presentation today, I just want to give a shout out that right now we have a blood drive going on and we still have some spaces available so if you feel called or you feel touched to give your blood, uh, a donation of your blood, uh, it will save three, three people. Um, so feel free to just go that way in that direction and, and connect with our folks over there and uh, Red Cross, our partners, and, and have the opportunity to, to bless three people. Um, today, I, I, we're, we're working with a table called the Widow's Table. Now, we've been talking, last week we talked about the Passover table. Uh, we talked about the importance of that Passover table. And the truth of the matter is that the Passover table influences every single table in the Bible. And today we are going to look at the widow's table, and I really encourage us um, to be open for the challenge that the word brings to us. Um, we start, I want to start, uh, we read part of the story, but I want to start with the context of that part, which is 1 King chapter 17, verse 1. And right there in, in verse 1, it reads, Now Elijah, the Tisbit, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab is a king, by the way. He's the king of Israel. And he's the king of Israel because Israel and Judah had separated. After the death of Solomon, there was a kingdom of the south, which was Judah, and there was a kingdom of the north called Israel. And so the kingdom of the north, for many reasons, decided to go uh, astray. They basically started worshiping different types of gods and so on. And a big influence was this King Ahab. King Ahab was married to Jezebel. And so Jezebel had a big hold on her husband, the king. And he basically influenced him so much that they decided to worship other gods. And notice uh, Elijah right now is facing off. He's coming in front of Ahab, and he's facing off with it. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew or nor rain these years except by the word. I want to stop right there. Notice that phrase right there, um, the God of Israel lives. The reason why Elijah is saying this to Ahab is because Ahab had made a big effort to get the people of Israel, that northern kingdom, to worship this God named Baal. And, this, and, and, and they had taken down all the altars of Yahweh, the altars of the Lord. They had taken all of them down. They had killed prophets. They had killed people who were worshiping God. And they were trying to get everybody to worship Baal. And so this is the reason why he starts with this statement, the God of Israel lives, which is something that they couldn't say because their God, Baal, was the God of the sky, he was the God of the rain and the thunder, right? And so it's interesting, they cannot say it because here Elijah attacks that God. It's kind of like a face-off. It's the same thing that happens in the Exodus when, when Moses faces off with the Pharaoh, and God is facing off with all the gods of the Egyptians. 
Here, God is doing the same thing. He's it basically, Elijah says, Before whom I stand, right, before the Lord, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain. Your God is going to become powerless. No rain, no dew, no thunder, no nothing. It's going to be a drought. It's a big moment, you know. And so Elijah is right there facing off with them, letting them know, hey, this is going to happen. Your God is already powerless. He cannot stop me. In fact, I'm going to pray. And until, until, I, you know, I tell you again, the rain is going to come, it's not going to happen. And so Ahab and Jezebel learn very fast that the God of Israel lives. But interesting enough, this is a high moment. And with high moments come low moments. And, I, and let me share with you something about pastoral life. You know, pastors, sometimes they have these high moments. Like they come here and they preach and, 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 and the word is a good word and the, and the church is excited and something amazing, the spirit moves and something so amazing happens in the church and it's such a high Sabbath, it's such a wonderful moment. But I guarantee you that after that high moment, after that pastor says hello, goodbye, embraces everybody, walks away, there's a low moment. Every high brings a low. And there's a reason why God works this way with all of us. Notice what verse 2 tells us. Immediately after this high moment, verse 2 tells us the following. It says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go away. From here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Sherith, which is east of Jordan. Now, I want you to leave that verse right there. Now, notice there's several things that are happening here. Number one, Elijah has to be a, a type A person, man, because in order to do what he did there with Ahab, he had, and in order to do what he's going to do with the 450 prophets, he has to be a type A person. A person that goes and goes and says and stuff like that. Now suddenly God says, you had your high moment, now I want you to hide yourself. Wait, what? Like hide myself? You know, Elijah would prefer be, be preaching, would love to be doing something. He, would, he, would be, he wants to be active doing something. And, and, but God says, no, I don't want you doing something. I want you to go and hide yourself. And I want you to be by the brook Cherith. By this brook Cherith. Cherith, by the way, is a Hebrew word. The old ancient Hebrew word means cut off or cut up. There are moments in our life where God needs to send us to the brook Cherith because that's the place where he cuts up or cuts off of us. And let me tell you what I'm trying to tell you here. What happens is that sometimes we're in a high. And so we have the verse right there, right? He, he sends him, I want you to hide yourself in the, in the brook Cherith. And what he wants is, I want you to go in stillness. And what we don't understand is sometimes God is inviting us to stillness because there's issues that he has to deal with us. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how high end you are with God, and, and Elijah was it. Elijah had an amazing relationship with God. Elijah still has to be worked on. Elijah suffered from big moments, by the way. Not only this was a big moment, but in chapter 18, he has another big moment where he's facing off 150 prophets. 
And he calls upon God to bring fire from heaven. And fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar that he has. And, 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 and there's this moment of revival. And Elijah is like, yes, this is it. And he kills all the 450 prophets. And it seems like he's on the top of the world. And Jezebel says, by tomorrow, you will be dead. And what does Elijah do? He runs. He runs like there's no tomorrow. And he hides in a cave. And in that cave, he thinks he's the only one worshiping God. And God has to give him the news, you're not the only one worshiping God. There's 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. What happens when you think that you are the it factor in the equation? What happens when you think that God needs you in order to do what he needs to do? We all suffer from this at one time a moment. Sometimes we feel that we are in charge. Sometimes we get ahead. We're like Moses and we go ahead and we kill an Egyptian because we need to, we need to save our brethren. What happens in our life when we feel that we're so much, we're so spiritual, so amazing, so close, so incredible that God needs to say, I need to sit you down. You know what happens? He sends you to the brook Cherith to cut up. He cuts you up. That's what happens. He takes you there. And what's interesting is he takes you there in the most awkward place ever because you're in a drought Number one. Number two, what is serving you food, what is giving you provision, what is blessing you is something that is bizarre because ravens, who are an unclean, an unclean bird, came to bless Elijah. And they fed him bread and they fed him meat. <coughs> God has a way to deal with us. He has a way to work in our life. And this is necessary. You need to understand that this is so necessary. All of us, like Elijah, we need to be by the brook Cherith. We need to. Because if not, we will, you know, there are people who have created a whole religion uh, around themselves. Just some recent years, some years ago, probably like around 10 years ago, there was this guy in Miami who, started, who created this whole church around himself, and he declared that 666 was the best thing ever. And it was, it was something spiritual, totally non-biblical, totally away from everything Scripture was saying, but he had this incredible follower, and people were tattooing themselves with 666. What happens when you become the it factor in the occasion, when you think that you're the it factor in the equation, what happens is you get too big in your head. You get too independent. You said, yes, God, but I got it in control. And so what we need to understand here is that God needs to take us to the book Cherith because he needs to cut away things that are in our life that we're not aware, things that are hurting yourself but are hurting others as well. But mostly you need to understand that the reason why God does this is that God... God, he wants to teach you, he wants to teach you that to, to how do I put it? He wants to teach you to, tr to not trust in his gifts, but trust in himself. 
And we as Christians, and as followers of Christ, we need to understand this. There's a pruning that God is doing in our life. There's a chiseling that God is doing in our life. And the reason why God is doing that is because often we trust so much in his gifts and we stop trusting in himself. I want to go a little bit further. Sometimes we trust so much in the doctrines than in the person that the doctrines are talking about. Sometimes we trust too much in prophecy instead of trusting in the person that prophecy is pointing to. You understand what I'm trying to say? There are times that God really needs to prune us, that he needs to take us by the chariot. But, but what's interesting to me is that he cuts us, but he also sustains us. That's a loving God. It might hurt when he cuts, but at the same time, he's bringing healing. It might hurt when he cuts, but at the same time, he's bringing transformation into your heart. It might, it might hurt when, it cu when he cuts, but some, at the same time, he's sustaining. He's providing for you. He's blessing you. He's protecting you. And this is, the re this is what, we, what I, I, I keep on coming back to this over and over again. You guys have heard me say this before. This is a relationship between a father and a child. A father is working with his child because what? Because he's trying to teach him to grow, to be mature, to understand what happens, to understand the values, to have good values. And this is what God is doing. It, when he cuts you, it doesn't mean that he's, re he's rejecting you. When he cuts you, it doesn't mean that he's pushing you away. When he cuts you, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. What he's trying to do is, I'm cutting you because right now you're trusting on something other than me. And when you trust in something other than me, everything gets distorted. Your religion gets distorted. Your practice of religion gets distorted. Your spirituality gets distorted. And the way you treat people gets distorted. And this is why I need you to understand that my gifts are great, but they're not for you to trust in or to lean in. I may give them to you. I may take them away from you. Job says that very clear. God gave. God take away. May his name be glorified. This is the relationship that God has with his children. And so he, he, he allows. He allows. And think about this. Imagine you being Elijah at that chair brook. At the brook Cherith, by the way. And you're, you're right there. And you're waiting for your food to come. A raven brings your food. It's unclean. And you feel that the bread is unclean. But that's your bread. And you start eating. And it brings you a raven and it's unclean. Brings your meat that's unclean. And you, you, you kept on eating, right? But meanwhile, we're in a drought. And psychologically speaking, you're, you, we don't know how to handle neg negative things. Human brains are not are not well poised or, 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 or prepared to handle negative things. Like, for example, if you're skiing, when I, when I was, when I was in, in Denver and I, and I had the opportunity to snowboard, and I was learning how to snowboard, I would see a tree. I was afraid to hit that tree, but at the same time, I was going to the tree. And I'm trying to avoid the tree, and I would hit the tree. Because I was thinking so much, don't hit the tree, don't hit your tree, I would hit the tree. Right? I had to learn to focus on the things that I could do, right? And, and, and can you imagine Elijah? There's a drought. 
psychologically, man, it, there's a drought going on. I'm being fed, and there's this brook, and it's drying up. Every minute, every hour that passed by, that brook kept on drying up more and more and more. There's a moment. Why does God dry up our brooks? Why? It's the same thing that happened in the Passover. The same thing. Because God is trying to help you understand to not trust your strength, your wisdom, your skill, your capability, but trust what he does. Even if what he does doesn't make sense to you. That's what's going on. And believe me, Elijah's not having the time of his life. He's there watching that brook drying up, drying up. I like, I like what uh, theologian Myers says. I like how he says, he says, he says in, in talking about the, 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 the brook, he says, the drying brook of health, he says, the drying brook of popularity ebbing away as, as from John the Baptist. He says, drying brook of health sinking under creeping paralysis or slow consumption. The drying brook of money slowly dwindling before the demands of sickness, bad debts, or other people's extravagance. The drying brook of friendship, which for long has been diminishing and threatens soon to seize completely. God is drying up your brook. Why? So you can stop trusting in his gifts and trust in him. Church, this is so important that you understand because there will be good times that God will bless you with great things and amazing things and there's going to be times that are going to be skinny cows, hard times, hard moments, difficult times. And it happens to all of us in different cases and scenarios. When I grew up, the, the whole focus was just money. There's nothing wrong with money. I hope all of you earn $5 million a year. That's my prayer. I hope it, it comes to be. But money is not the problem. The problem is what's happening in here. And so, and so God does it through different things because his focus is not money. His focus is different things. Sometimes it's losing someone. Sometimes it's dealing with something. When my mom passed away, my twin sisters had a hard time with that passing. They had many questions and everything. God was drying up the, the brook cherith. It was drying up. It was cutting away. And, and I remember all the phone calls that we had. How difficult, how that much they struggled. And I had this incredible temptation. I wanted to fix them. But I couldn't fix them. The journey. Do you hear me, church? God sometimes, many times... For all of us, sometimes he takes away those gifts that he has given us so we can learn to trust in him. And he takes us to this place where Psalms 46 talks about. Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Church, there he was. But there's the other part of this coin. The other part of this coin is some of us some of us get comfortable with the brook cherith. 
Some of us get comfortable in that drought place. Some of us get comfortable in that place. And so uh, as a pastor, I've heard this over the years. Well, you know, I'm not ready to participate. I'm not ready to do the Lord's will. I need to, I need to be more spiritual. I need to read more. I need to pray more. I need to do this. I need to do that. Let me tell you something. God did not depend on the giftedness of Elijah. God does not depend on your giftedness or your lack of giftedness. It's about his power through you. It's not about being successful. It's about being faithful. It's not you. It's never been you. But sometimes we go to the other side. I need to prepare. And that's why we never share. We never tell. We never go out. We never tell someone that needs Jesus. We see people in our, in our, in our sphere, in our circle of influence that need Jesus. But we don't make that approach. We don't, we don't testify. We don't share the gospel because we're not prepared. Because we're not this. We're not that. We have a, a, a thousand excuses. And God is saying, stop. It's not your power. It's my power. It's not your word, it's my word. It's not your spirit, it's my spirit through you. This is, this, th- 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 we need to understand this dynamic because what, what, what God is going to ask Elijah to do now, it, it just, it blows his mind. So there's this drought, all this is happening. He's going through this pruning. He's looking at the brook dry up. And finally, it dries up, and the next thing we hear is that Elijah is invited to the house of a widow. And we read right there. So let's go to the verse, <clears throat> verse 8. In verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. And this is very relational, by the way. That The name of God here is Lord, which is the, the, the personal God of Israel, the one who gets in the midst of, of the messiness with you. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, says, Arise, go to Seraphath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, leave that verse right there. Notice, God is telling him, hey, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. It's interesting enough that when Elijah arrives to the place and finally sees the widow, the widow had no idea that she was going to be providing for Elijah. Ah, church, I hope you guys see this story. This is an amazing story. It's so powerful. Um, and in and, and, and verse 10 it says, So he arose, and he went to Seraphath. And, he, and, he, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. Now let's stop right here. Just leave, leave that verse right there. I want everybody to watch this verse. So here's Elijah, comes to the gate of the city. He's in enemy territory, right? He's a stranger, right? And he's talking to this woman, asking her for water. By the way, did you forget? We're in a drought. The nerve. But, but, but the other thing you need to see is that she is a widow. Now let me tell you something about widows. <clears throat> widows are in contrast with wives, You see, wives are full of joy. In the Bible, wives find their identity within the context of the person that they married. They find fullness. They find partnership, right? 
And, and men are not complete without that woman, you see. But in, in the society in which she is living, it was so important to be married to a husband and have a healthy family because married to a husband mean that you were not only provided, you were protected. Not only you were protected, you had an identity. And so when, she, when, when you became widow, widow was everything that had nothing to do with that. You're desolate, you're lost, you have no identity, you're, you're messed up, it's, you know, your world has turned around. People look at you as cursed. If you were in the pagan world, you're, pagan world, you were cursed by the gods. You know, if you were in the Israel world, you were, God cursed you. You know, you're not, but God in the Bible has this, he has a heart for widows for orphans, for strangers, because of this situation. They're desolate. I like what, and I didn't include this here, but I want to invite you, if you have your phones there, we go to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and it says, there in Lamentation 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, How lonely sits the city though that was full of people she has become like a widow who was once great among the nations she who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer she weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks she has none to comfort her among all her lovers all her friends have dealt treacherously with her they have become her enemies note the picture that it presents about a widow is a person who's desolate, who has lost all hope. Now, understand this context, and Elijah comes in, sees the widow, and tells the widow, hey, in the midst of a drought where she doesn't have a protector, which means that there's a possibility that she had food in her house, and somebody tackled her house and kind of took away all the food, took away all the water. Water is, is dying down. Yeah, there's so many situations that could have happened to this woman. And Elijah comes to this woman and says to this woman, Hey, I need you to give me a drink of water in a jar that I may drink. Now, hospitality is such a strong thing in this culture. Remember how we define hospitality in this series? It's giving to the outsiders the privilege that belongs to the insiders. And that's what she does. She gives the privilege that belongs to the insiders, her son and herself, to this outsider who he has no idea about, and he gives him water. He's gonna, she's going to go and get him water. And notice what happens in verse 11. Is as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Not only I want water... I want a piece of bread. And bread in the Bible was a gift of hospitality. But in this case, something was happened. She is in a drought. She's in dire situation. And she responds to this. And her response is, but she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. This was unexpected. But I want to I stop right here because what you see happening here is two droughts. The first drought is the one that we're all aware of. But inside of her life, there is a drought that is happening. She's lost all hope. And this drought basically makes her just give up. 
Because what she's going to do is I'm going to prepare it. I'm going to prepare a little bit. And I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it to my son. I'm going to eat a little bit myself. And then we just die. That's all that's going to happen. Notice the next verse it says, And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare me and my son that we may eat and die. Do you get what's going on here? Look, it's so interesting to me that the gospel is so bold. Verse 13 says the following. It says, Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go, do as I have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterward, and afterward you may eat. You make one for yourself and your son. The, can you understand... You understand, if somebody came to your house and did this, you would be all mad. You would kick them out. It's like, are you, are you serious? Are you telling me to give you the bread that belongs to my son to give it to you? I want to tell you something, church. Church, the gospel is bold. We, as we go to the, to the brook Cherith, God takes us to a widow's table. The widow's table is a difficult table. The widow's table in our day are all the in church, are all the people who feel, who feel that God doesn't love or, or don't believe in God. They are thirsting. There's something happening in their life that they can't explain. They're going through drought. They're going through difficulty. And God sends you, as he sent Elijah, to their tables. And God is telling you, this is what you're going to do. You're going to ask first, feed me first, and then you will be blessed. It's paradoxical. The gospel is bold. The gospel is invasive. Why is Jesus so invasive? Why is the gospel just come in and say, hey, bake me a cake first, and then I will eat, and then you can eat. Prepare one for your, you and your son, and I will eat. You know why the gospel is so bold? Because people in this world have a distorted view of God. They don't know how to get to God. They don't know that what they're thirsting is for God. They don't know that the emptiest that they're experiencing in their life is a thirst for God. And somebody needs to come in and be bold enough to say, hey, serve me a cake first and you will be blessed. We need to be like Elijah. We need to be at the widow's table. And at the widow's table, anything and everything can happen. She is faced with this dilemma. This guy is not. And notice, she understands you know God. Because notice what she says. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. He says, he says the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to what Elijah said. But before she does that, she recognized that Elijah, and she recognizes that Elijah is a follower of the Lord God. She even mentions God's name personally, the Lord God. And there's so many widowers outside in this world, spiritual people who are thirsting, who think that they're in the last line of their life that think that all they have is a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and a little bit of water. And they're living life this way. And they see the Christians and they say, that, I know there's a God somewhere, but 
He has nothing to do with me because they have a distorted view of God because I have to obey, because I have to be good in order for God to love me. I have to do certain things in order for God to accept me. I have to be in a certain way in order for God to bless me. And so they don't know how to make that. And in fact, there's so many people who are biblically illiterate who have no idea about the stories of the Bible and they need an Elijah to come to their table. God is calling us to be the Elijah, to come to the widow's table, to interrupt their lives. And it's not by your power, it's not by your might, it's by the might and grace of God. And this is why we say here at Canyon Creek, so that no one misses the grace of God. Because that's what we're all about. Sharing the gospel, hoping that it interrupts your life, hoping that it makes you understand that you have a need. Now, she sees everything that's happened. She cooks, she cooks again, she cooks the next day, and she sees all these things, but she hasn't gotten it yet. Because the Bible tells us in the last part of the chapter, the Bible tells us suddenly her son dies. And when her son dies, she runs towards the prophet what happened? People in church and outside of church do not understand the goodness of God and the joy of his beauty until sometimes calamity hits. Sometimes there's moments where God needs to take us to that big low in order for us to open eyes and see the grace and goodness of God. Because once she saw that, she wanted to live. Once she saw her son die, she was not thinking, we're going to cook this, this piece of cake, we're going to cook it, we're going to eat it, we're going to die. That was not her mentality. That was not her status. That was not where she was. When she experiences what God is doing in her life, suddenly she understands that life is an option and that you can be full in God's presence. We, as a church, have been called the Elijah. There's three Elijahs in the Bible. There's Elijah, the guy that we're talking about. John the Baptist was known as the second Elijah. And the third Elijah is the church in the times in which we are living right now. We are called to walk into the widow's table. We are called to go into an enemy territory. We are called to go where droughts exist. We are called for the highs and we're called for the lows. Some of you are God is calling for some high moments and other, you, other, you, other ones are called for low moments. But all are being called to be lajas in front of the widow's table. God is calling us there. And the question is, what, is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Some of us have gotten very comfortable in the Brook Cherith. And I like to compare the Brook Cherith to the church. We have gotten comfortable with the church. I've been in churches where I have saints who know where they sit. Because they have chosen a place in a pew, and that place in the pew is there. It belongs to them. And nobody can sit there. Because not they get mad. Sometimes we get so comfortable in the church 
that we forget all the thirsting, hungry people outside that are needing Jesus. And in the church, we were always thinking, I have to prepare myself. I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not this. I'm not that. And God is saying, no, no, no. It's not you. It's my spirit. It's not your strength. It's my power. It's not easy, but God calls us. He calls us constantly. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in front of a person who's in church, unchurched, or a person who's an atheist and had conversations about God. It's not easy. It's sometimes awkward. But God loves them. He loves them so much, and he loves you too. But the beauty here is that God is working on two people. He's working on the widow, but he's also working with Elijah. Elijah got desperate. God, the kid, I need you to help me out here. He got desperate. God is working on both of them, on both of us. He uses, uses them to bless you and transform you as he's using you to bless them and transform them. It's an ecology, and that's where God is calling us to. The widow's table is the missional place. It's a place of the people who are thirsting. I was, you know, I was talking to, I was talking to this young girl, and she was telling me how much, how much it's been hard for her to understand life in general, you know, she, and how much she was searching for safe places for her to just be. It's sometimes it's hard. We have a generation of people that are after us and a generation that were before us that are thirsting for Christ. We have people who have, have, have depend, who depend on their cherith, who depend on their strength, they depend, depend on their prowess, on their spiritual, that they read the Bible like 50 times, that they're in the church for 50 years that are needing Jesus. And we have people who are outside there who have no clue how to find peace, who have no clue how to find centeredness in Christ. And their life looked full, full of riches, of different type of riches. I'm not just not talking about money. I'm talking about different things, experiences, all these things. And yet, there's this emptiness. There's something missing that I need so much. And God has called you to be the Elijah, to sit at the widow's table. Not easy. Sometimes it's bizarre. That girl sat down with me and said, Pastor, I have a question for you. I had an abortion. Do you think God can still love me? And as we sat and we talked about that, and I heard her heart, her pain, her grief, confused, feeling alone and isolated she was able to see Jesus and for the first time have a piece of bread you know what I'm talking about I am the bread of life 
She grabbed it and she said, piece of bread for the first time in her life. And as she tasted Jesus, her eyes opened. Her whole body breathed. And suddenly she found herself in the path to peace. It's not a magical encounter. It takes a journey to walk with a person who's gone through such pain. like her there's so many of us that are there so many of us starving thinking that our life is over when God is offering eternity and so I pray that if you're the widow that you find blessing in God's protection and presence but if you're Elijah I pray that you find yourself in front of a widow's table.